Good to see you all. Good morning. Welcome, friends, family, guests. We're happy to have you here today. We're starting a new series that just happened to coincide with something big that happened in the town, yeah? Uh, The Roseburg's In-N-Out opened up Thursday. Guys, our town's growing up, guys. Our town's really growing up. Oh, my goodness. Um, Big day, big week. I mean... I don't know. I've been, I just feel like I prayed it in. I just prayed it in, guys. <laughs> Listen, uh, we, uh, we, we, uh, we just are really sort of grabbing on to this little bit of wave here. One of the cool things about In-N-Out, you may have noticed when you, when you order burgers and things, there's little secret things printed on, the pa- on some of the packaging. You know what I'm talking about on the packaging? Yeah, there's, there's scriptures that have been printed on various milkshake cups and fry baskets and so on. The Christian family who started in and out all these years ago had this vision to inspire people to serve Jesus and to, to go into their Bibles. And so in the early 80s, they began printing uh, passages of scripture. And then in 2010, when the current CEO and family member, uh, Lindsay Snyder, took over for grandma, grandpa, her parents and things, she actually expanded the scripture uh, printing uh, idea to even more products. And so Lindsay and her husband, uh, they're kind of famous Christian people. They, they, were, they were on like Focus on the Family, the radio program earlier this year, very outspoken, very strong in their faith. They have a vision to help uh, people in the communities their restaurants are located. And they're, and they're just really passionate about uh, the marketplace and their faith. And I just think that's, that's really, it's rare, isn't it? It's rare and they do a good job. They're, uh, they're nonprofits. They have several. One is doing a lot of work in the communities, uh, for recovery ministries, helping people, helping people in their journey to, um, to conquer drugs and alcohol addiction as well as to, they're fighting human trafficking in America, specifically up and down the I-5. That's really great. So they're helping, helping, helping. Really good stuff. So um, when I was a newer Christian, I was working in L.A. for a structural engineer who was an atheist. I was a young lad, and um, we were a small structural engineering firm. One day, my boss and I were out on a site visit in the valley, you know, San Fernando Valley, totally tubular, uh, that place. And we stopped at In-N-Out to grab lunch, and my boss picked up... So we had our stuff. He picked up his soda cup and he showed me, hey, Billy, hey, Billy, you read the Bible, right? You read the Bible. What does this verse mean? And it was Proverbs 3, 5 was written in the cup. And I, I saw it. I didn't know. I, I think it was like my second or third time at In-N-Out. I didn't know anything. Uh, I don't know if I know much more then, but... Um, and, you know, we didn't have In-N-Outs. In, I grew up in McMinnville. There's no In-N-Out there. Now, now the kids have them everywhere. You know, they're just there. Everything's going better. None like when we had it. So um, I also didn't know what that verse meant. And I said, I don't, I don't really know. And then someone overhearing the conversation that was sitting next to us said, oh, I know what it means. And then they said, they recited it to my boss. And so that was a cool thing. And we had a discussion about what it means to trust in the Lord. And I got to share some of the story about how I came to Jesus. And this was really a cool moment. And then we, I went home that night and I was like, I need to memorize this verse. And I went to my Bible and that night I memorized Proverbs 3, 5 and I still have it memorized and I've not forgotten it. So I have a feeling that this is what the in and out family had in mind, at least in part with why they're doing what they're doing. So what we're gonna do, guys, in this study, five weeks, we're gonna study five of the passages that are seen by thousands of eyes every day. Many of them don't 
don't notice these verses, but we are not only going to notice them, we are going to study them. We're going to dig into our Bibles, and some of these verses you're going to know by heart. Some are familiar, others are not so familiar, but what I want us to do is to be hungry for God's word, and we're going to chow down now on scripture together. Are you ready for that? Okay. All right, let's, let's look at our first one. It's Revelation 3.20. Revelation 3.20. I believe this is on one of the burger wrappers. Here's what it is on the screen. Behold, this is Jesus talking. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him. Beautiful passage. Very appropriate for a restaurant, I might add, yeah? Um, some, of the, some of the weeks, we're going to memorize these together. I'd like to do that. Can we memorize this together? Just take a few minutes and memorize the scripture. Um, all right, let's break this into four parts. Let's look at this first line. First slide, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Let's say this, one, two, three, go. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. All right, let's take it away. One, two, three, behold, I stand at the door and knock. All right, good. Second line. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, let's take it away. All right, next line. I will come into him and eat with him. One, two, three. All right, let's take it off. I will. Last line's easy. And he with me. And he with me. Okay, let's put it all together now. Here's some prompts. All right. Behold, if anyone All right, good job. You did it. Give your neighbor a high five. Let's dig in. Revelation 3.20, it's in a context of verses that's pretty powerful. Just glance up to verse 14, and let's read this whole section, and then we're going to study this a bit today. Verse 14, this is Jesus talking. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Jesus is introducing himself to this church, and one of his titles is The Amen. That's a pretty cool title. Uh, Amen is a Hebrew word. You know what this word means, anyone? So be it, someone said that. It means, yeah, that's right, that's true. You know, in some churches, people in the audience will amen the pastor. Have you been in a church like this? We're a little bit like that. <laughs> you guys are really nuts. Um, yeah, it's like, it's like you, you know, the pastor's preaching and someone say, amen, amen, amen. And you'll hear this peppered throughout or, or sometimes they'll change it up and they'll say, that's right, that's right, pastor. Or another version, preach that. Preach, pastor, preach, preach. Uh, sometimes it's just this. It's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Jesus is the mm-hmm. That's who he is. He's identifying himself. Let's keep going. Verse 15. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. 
Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, (coughs) pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich in white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, verse 20, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. Amen. Let's have an ear to hear today. Let's have an ear to hear what the Lord is saying. In Revelation chapter 2 and 3, give you some context. Jesus is writing seven letters, short letters, to seven different churches that are located in the Asia Asia Minor region of the Mediterranean. He's doing this, Jesus, through the Apostle John. The one that we read is is the last one of the seven to a church in a Roman city called Laodicea. Now, the seven letters follow a basic pattern. There's essentially just like a, a flow to them if you read them. And the pattern is Jesus introduces himself and he uses various titles. He then tells each of the churches, hey guys, here's what you're doing great. Here's where you're really excelling in your faith. And he gives them encouragement around certain characteristics of their positive, like, good job, high five. And then he says, but, in each of these, "Ah, there are some things you're struggling with. And then he points out some, some of their negatives, some of the bad things that they're doing and incorporating in their worship. And this is essentially the, the pattern. It's, it's the intro. It's the good. It's the bad. Here's where you're whiffing. And so it's a great study because there's things in here, each of the churches that we relate to today in both positive and negative. And it's a good thing to to study these for inspiration and encouragement, as well as a bit of a warning so that we don't fall into the same pitfalls. But in our, our, our letter that we just read, you may have noticed for the Laodicean Christians, there was no high fives. That part was, there's no good job, guys. Do you remember this? We just read this. It's missing. It's only bad. And the reason is this particular church was struggling, really struggling. All the churches were struggling in little ways. Uh, some, uh, actually, not just little ways, but in, in many ways. Um, some were struggling with sexual immorality. Some were s- struggling with persecution. Some were struggling with false teaching. All of these are huge issues. But perhaps the Laodiceans had it the worst. They they were facing their worst enemy. Perhaps the toughest challenge of all, here's your fill-in, is spiritual lethargy. Spiritual lethargy. This is a a devious challenge. It's so difficult. Um, Lethargic faith. The Christians in this city had lost their passion for Jesus. They lost interest in Christ, right? They, they, they didn't start hating the Lord, like they didn't become a Christian and then go way the other side and preach against him. Rather, they had just become disinterested in Jesus and bored and apathetic and just blah and like, you know, eh, Christianity. 
Are you a Christian? Yeah, yeah, yeah I guess. Wh- whatever. Yeah. No, 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 no. Uh. Uh. Turn to your neighbor and go. Uh. 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 So Jesus is trying to break through the spiritual lethargicness, which is a tough thing. Anything, anytime be, people become indifferent to anything, it's you have an indifferent marriage, you have an indifferent just to your job. It's just like, it's so hard to get people's attention. And so here's what Jesus says. I know your works, verse 15, 16. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were, but because you're lukewarm, I will what? What's that word? Spit, spit you out of my mouth. Turn to your neighbor and say spit. (laughs) Don't spit on your neighbor when you say it. (laughs) That's rude. Here's the thing. English translators do a beautiful job for us. But sometimes what they do is they try to smooth the edges off of some of the words in the original Greek. And this is one of those times. I have no criticism. It's just, uh, it's just one of those times where they did that. So um, what this word in the Greek, let me show it to you. It means, it literally means to projectile vomit, all right? The word is emuo, emuo. It's like a cat meowing and hacking up a, like a cat, you know, uh, once again. No, it's, it's to project, it means to vomit forth. So you know there's different kinds of vomiting. You know, there's the one that's more self-contained, and then there's the one that just goes everywhere, right? Is anybody, can I get an amen? I mean, I mean, let's, and you know, I had a really good story, but when I did this, in our sermon run-through on Thursday, the team shut it down. They're like, Billy, the church doesn't want to hear that, except for Jay, our worship leader. He really wanted me to say it, and I just love him. Jay's my favorite. Um, but since I'm not allowed to share a projectile vomit story, here's what you do. Just pick your own in your mind and fill it in, and there's the, villi- there's the image of, of this idea of vomiting uh, in this way. Okay, let's keep going. The commentators, The commentators tell us that the water in this town, Laodicea, was, was too gross to drink. Like think Flint, Michigan, or, uh, or if you've ever been to Ashland, Lithia Park in Ashland has, you know what I'm saying? It has that fountain with the gross water, and then you can play a prank on your friend and say, oh, you should try the water, it's really good. And then they, they drink it, and it's disgusting, and they spit it out like I did with my wife and kids. I did that. That was so much fun. I had so much fun that day. <laughs> Cicero, uh, a Roman historian, commented that it was the foulest water in the Roman Empire. Now, there were two other towns near Laodicea. There was, it was like a tri-cities area. There's a town called Hierapolis, five, six, seven miles away, and then a town called Colossae. Colossae is, is, a, is a New Testament town, the book of Colossians written there. And these towns had great water. Hierapolis, for example, was world famous for its hot springs. So hot springs they had constructed from this natural uh, spring of hot water. People would travel and sit in the hot baths. There was medicinal properties to this. If you were had certain types of ailments in Rome and the empire, you would go to Hierapolis and you would hang out there and you would convalesce there. Now, people tell me there are hot springs around our area, aren't there? Yeah, along 138, isn't there like a hot spring? 
Yeah, I, I, you know, just to be careful, what I've been told is a lot of older naked hippies hang out there. So you just got to know what you're doing. Another bad image. Uh, that's really... <laughs> old naked hippies. Oh, Lord, help us. So that's... The, the, here's the point. Hot water was good. It was useful. Conversely, in Colossae, it was the opposite. They had delicious cold water that flowed from the mountains above the town, and it was refreshing and uh, it was very cold, and, and if, they didn't have bottling then, but if you, if you had bottling, that's where you would do it, in Colossae. And so what we think is going on here is the cities were, and the people were organizing canals from both Hierapolis and Colossae into Laodicea to transport that water, but it didn't work. Colossae, the water would cool down, and in Hierapolis... Uh, the water would also would, would reach a, a lukewarm temperature. But in both cases, it picked up a bunch of chemicals and calcium carbonates and things. So through the limestone and these channels, and it just became gross. It was a gross temperature and it tasted gross. And so it didn't work. It made you sick to the stomach. And Jesus is saying to the Christians here, your church is like your water. I wish that you were either hot or cold like these other towns, useful either for medicinal healing purposes or to refresh, but you're not. You're not hot, you're not cold, you're lukewarm, and Jesus is saying, Laodicean Christians, you're making me sick to my stomach. People drink your water and they get sick, and I consider you very much the same. Just pretty, pretty stark, isn't it? Jesus then goes on to remind them, well, here's how you got this temperature spiritually. It's because your wealth and your prosperity has smothered you like a blanket. The Laodicean Christians were prospering financially so much so that they had bought into the lie that often comes with wealth and success. And the lie is this, ah, I'm really good. I don't really have any needs. And that's what they had done. They had successfully like earned enough money and wealth and status that they had believed the lie that they had no needs. And so Jesus is like, no, you have tons of needs. Remember who you are spiritually. You're blind, you're naked, you're poor, you're wretched, you're pitiable. Apart from the Lord, this is who you guys are. You, you have left all that aside. And so now we, we just take a step back and we say, okay, let's bounce off of this a moment. And let's just say from, from an American perspective, maybe this is one of our greatest challenges, talking like big picture in the church, in wealthy countries, in countries where our physical needs are met and where we, we can, in some cases, kind of sort of buy into the same lie where our success and our, 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 our status and, and just our, our, our general awesomeness, and we forget that we are sinners in need of a savior. We can't save ourselves. Our success, our prosperity, our science, our advancements, our cultural just gravitas is never enough to reach in to our spiritual conditions of being blind, naked, poor, wretched, and pitiable. So this is then a huge challenge, not only to the Laodiceans way back in the first century, but to American Christians and all Christians in wealthy Western nations. We can become so easily spiritually lethargic because our needs physically are met. And Jesus is like giving us a warning. Here's what happens when a church loses its passion. 
it happens because sometimes, like a, Christians who attend that church individually, right, they lose their individual passion for Jesus. And in, and in the church, enough blah, eh, Christians come in, and then the church takes on that. And so the church corporately then becomes um, lethargic. And then what happens typically is that church will begin to shrink. And usually it happens slowly at first. This is true of denominations. Um, we study this in church growth and seminary. The, de- the, the mainline denominations all started out so white hot in America have been in decline actually for almost 200 years, every single one of them. And it usually happens slowly. What happens next is churches will resist new ministries and new methodologies. Churches will entrench themselves into traditions uh, long, long since past. Churches that grow lukewarm start saying things like this. Well, we've never done it that way before. Have you ever heard that? Let me say it another way. Well, we've never done it that way before. And what, what happens is, unfortunately, any passion that does try to rise up is stopped, it's criticized, it's litted out, and churches start, people, they start fighting over silly things and, and arguing over the size of the chairs or the color of the carpet or what brand of coffee is being served in the foyer. And it's usually gross and lukewarm. I don't, I don't like the preaching. I don't like that song. I don't like the lights. I don't like, oh. A culture of little joy and lots of distractions. And this is the most tragic thing at all, of all, is there's no life change going on. Remember, the gospel changes lives, transforms us from the inside out. But in these situations, in these cultures, in these churches, there's no more stories of life change. There's no more, here's how Jesus changed my life. Here's how I was before I met him. And then Jesus came into my life and I received the gospel and now I'm different here, here, and here. And my marriage has been resurrected and my relationship with my kids and I've beaten drugs and I've, and I, and I've beaten these sins in my life that try to tear me down. And I'm on a different path and I have purpose. I have destiny. I'm, a, I'm to heaven and I'm taking as many people with me as possible. You never hear that because no more risk, no more trust, no more fire of God, no more fuego de Dios in that church. And this is, this is one of my greatest fears. I, have, I have really have two fears. One is really weird. You want to know what it is? I fear, I fear the red pandas down in Winston. What is a red panda? I don't know what that is. Is that a Scottish Raccoon, I don't know, but it's beady, beady little eyes. And it's just looking at you, and it kind of haunts my dreams a little bit. It just does. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> the other fear is more serious. It's the fear of becoming the first church of the lukewarm. I don't, I don't want that to happen here. Do you? So many of us, though, start off with such zeal for Christ, such passionate fire for him, 
poring over our Bibles at the beginning. I remember when I was coming to Christ in my mid-teens, 15 years old, 16, and I started to read the Bible, and I had such a hunger for spiritual things and for the Lord. And, and I, I, I picked up our family Bible. We had a, a one Bible. It had a lot of dust. It was the King James Bible. I didn't understand a word of it, the these and the thous, and I was confused. And so my grandma, Nana, heard about this, and so she gave me one of her Bibles. She goes, here, and she gave me this Bible. It was really big and thick, and it said, Good News Bible. And it was one of these modern-day translations written in a more like how we talk today. And I remember I just I took it up to my room, and I set it on my bed, and I just like laid on my bed, and I was like, and I started to read, and I just read the Gospels, and I read, I was like, whoa, and, and I just kept pouring into it, and it was just voracious fire, and I couldn't wait to get to church and hear the preaching and sing the songs and learn the songs. I started listening. I didn't know there was Christian music. I wasn't raised in a Christian home, and there was these bands that sang like cool Christian music, like, 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 like Rich Mullins and like Michael W. Smith and like, I don't know. Petra, all oh, them. And I was like, this is amazing. And I went to Jesus Northwest, the conference. I don't know where it is, in somewhere in Washington, and a bunch of my friends, and we made peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and drove up there, and we just hung out like, like Christian hippies for three days. Hippies come in a lot in this sermon, apparently. And it was awesome. But then, like so many Sold-out hearts become distracted with other things, life, maybe it's success, maybe it's prosperity, or maybe it's just death by a thousand cuts, and you bleed out slowly over time, pulling us away from the vibrancy of our trust in Jesus. So this passage is not for unbelievers. This passage is for church folk. This passage is for church folk who are playing church who are using church like it's just a hobby, one hobby among, among many other hobbies. Yeah, just one more thing I can maybe do in my weekend if I have time. No, 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 no. This is not how we approach our faith. Christians need Jesus just as much as non-Christians, not just at the beginning, but in the middle and at, and at the end. This is the lesson on the burger wrapper. Wait till we get to the milkshake. <laughs> so this is the diagnosis. And then Jesus gives the cure. He gives the gospel. This is your next fill-in. The gospel is always the cure. The gospel is the cure, is the answer. And Jesus preaches the gospel here in verse 18. It's very interesting. I'll show it to you again. I counsel you, I counsel you, Jesus says, to buy from me, buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, your true riches, and then white garments, buy for me white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And buy for me, what? Anoint yourself to anoint your eyes so that you may see. And so this is like, okay, this is the gospel, but how is this the gospel? It's a little bit very contextual, actually, a lot of bit contextual. You need to know something about what was happening in Laodicea for this to make, I think, more sense. Three things. Laodicea was super wealthy. There was a lot of bankers and investment firms. And so when Jesus says, I counsel you, that word counsel was what you would do. You would hire investment counselors at Laodicea, people to help others build wealth. Laodicea, secondly, was also known for their production of high-end black wool garments. 
of all things. It was a financial center and a manufacturing center. Their, their choice product was really shiny, shimmery wool. I guess they had goats and sheep or whatever that were black, and they would, it was it's expensive. It was like REI. You know when you go to REI, there's like $800 sleeping bags. Like this was like an $800 sleeping bag type level, and it was like bougie, and there was, it was like an industry, and people got wealthy, and, and this was a thing here. Black wool garments. And then thirdly, there was a medical school in Laodicea with, with a, an interesting, with a baller optometrist. He was like super good. And he invented a salve to help heal people's eyes that was famous around the Roman Empire. And we're not sure what it was, but this was, this was in, it's in the historical record. And so this place had it all, right? It had wealth, it had science, it had fashion. I mean, this was Florence meets, I don't know, meets Zurich, meets LA. It was, it was a really metropolitan town. And Jesus says, who cares about all that? Trade all of that in and buy from me. Now, Jesus is not saying here, Earn your salvation. He's speaking in language that they will understand. He says, first, buy from me true riches. Don't buy from the world, buy from me. Buy true spiritual gold refined by fire, refined by the cross and the resurrection. So how, how can you buy something from Jesus when you're poor and bankrupt? A passage from Isaiah, a lot of the commentators think Jesus is, is kind of low-key, Referring to this in this section, Isaiah 55, God says, come everyone who thirsts. Check this out. Come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Huh? How can you buy stuff when you have no money? Next line. Come, the Lord says, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Ah, that without price is the key. It's free. Wine, milk, these Metaphors for spiritual nourishment, refined gold, it's free. Buy is like this ironical, air quoted. You're bankrupt. You have nothing. Come buy from me. Trade everything that you're involved in. Get rid of it and then buy from me the true spiritual riches. Now, um, we also think that Jesus is referring to something that we learn about in theology school, in seminary or Bible college. Can I teach you a really nerdy theology thing real quick? Either way, I'm going to do it. So you might as well just nod, <laughs> nod your head. Okay. Way back there. You good? Back there? Okay. The term is double imputation. Double imputation. This is a very beautiful term theologically where we have something called imputed righteousness from the Lord. This is a theological term that describes the gospel. But it's, it, it goes two directions. On the screen, it means two things. It means that my sin is transferred over to Jesus. He pays my sin debt. And then it means that Jesus' righteousness is transferred over to me. It's a double, it's like a double action uh, process. So let me illustrate it this way. Let's say I have... Let's say I have a huge unpayable debt. I've racked up credit card debt. 
And you know, credit card debt's the worst, right? This is a high interest rate. And, and if it gets to be too big, then you can't even make the interest payments. And then that just gets added to the principal and it's this doom cycle, right? And so it's a terrible thing. So in my case, let's say in this illustration, I have this huge amount of credit card debt and it's drowning me. I can't pay it off no matter what I do. And then someone comes along out of nowhere and then just pays it off. And they just throw it down and it's like, what? My balance just went to zero. Praise God, I'm worth nothing. It's a huge miracle out of the generosity of someone. So that's the first one. And then the second side of it, the double imputation is, then the guy who paid my debt off puts my name on all his accounts. And now I'm worth what he's worth. So I went from minus a gazillion to zero and from zero to plus a gazillion out of the generosity of this person, this man. And this is the gospel. Jesus pays off our sin debt. He didn't have a debt. It wasn't his, it was ours. And we're sinners and we just do things and and we just rack up this thing. And it's just like, it's just life. And it's our bent towards being selfish and and being, you know, narcissistic and being and being lustful and being greedy and all these things. And we just rack up this sin debt. And Jesus comes along and says, No, 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 I'm gonna take care of that debt. And he cancels it out. But then he just keeps going. He says, On top of that, my righteousness, my perfection will now be accredited to your account, to you yourself. So you used to be impure, but now you're now totally pure. You used to be unrighteous. And now not only are you just at zero, you're now totally righteous. So Jesus's purity becomes our purity. His love becomes our love. His patience becomes our patience. His gentleness and joy and fruitfulness becomes ours. And so we get this beautiful, beautiful double imputation blessing from Christ when we say yes, and we have faith in him and we trust in him and we receive his gospel. This is what is happening here. He's saying, guys, guys, go back to this. Go back to what you agreed to and, 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 and understood at the beginning. The true riches of the gospel. This is Laodicea, what you need from me, Jesus is saying. He's also, um, he's also talking about real holiness. Exchanging that black garment. That, now, this was, like, this was like representative of, of the deeds and the work that people try to do. They created these black garments and they, they were proud of them. And Jesus is like, take off your black garment and put on this white robe offered only by Christ. So true holiness, true purity without any shame, not through our own making, but this gift of grace through Christ. Now, the apostle John, who's writing this, later in the book, he gives us a picture of heaven. He's like, there was a door opened to heaven and he gets to see and he writes about it and he tells us what it's like. And then seen, he's looking at the throne room of heaven. This is Revelation 7. And he sees this innumerable people sitting, standing at the throne of God. And there's Jesus and the fathers up there. And they're, and they're singing and they're praising God. And they all have on white robes. And, and John's like, and they're dazzling white. It's just like these white robes. And they're saying, glory be to God. Salvation belongs to God who sits on the throne and the Lamb of God. This is our reality. This is our future. And Laodicea, this is what you need from me. And then finally, they're offered ultimate vision. Spiritual lethargy 
has this, um, it's attached to this other thing called spiritual blindness. You know, when Christians become apathetic to the Lord and they're out of their Bibles and they're disconnected from church and they're not getting any spiritual nourishment, it's like their spiritual eyesight starts to fail. And so they just start stumbling around in the dark and they just start agreeing to things that they shouldn't be agreeing, going into places where they have no business going. And they need, they need vision and clarity from the Lord. And so when we come to Jesus by grace and we give him our sin-soaked robes that are black and we take on the white robe of righteousness, we begin to see clearly spiritual clarity to combat the darkness that doesn't it seem to be getting darker? It's there all around us. Jesus then commands them to be zealous and repent. So this is not just emotional faith, It's not just an emotional experience. This is repentance. Be zealous. Be passionate about repenting, meaning, guys, turn around and walk the other direction. There's hope. There's grace. It's available. This is the cure of the gospel. Finally, we come to this third section, and that's the response. Jesus offers an invitation. The image, of course, we memorize this. Jesus is standing at a door, and he's knocking on a door. This is kind of scary, because this is to a church. So picture a whole church meeting for service, but Jesus isn't invited. They kicked him out. And he's sitting, standing at the door. Hey, can I come in? And it's about me. Guys, never go to a church where Jesus has been kicked out. I don't even know what the point of that is. But don't, don't do it. Figure out if Jesus is welcome there, and if he's not, then, I don't know, run. So he's loving, he's polite, he's knocking. There's a knock, a knock on his own house. But it also says there's something else. The verse says, if anyone hears my voice, not my knock. So, so the implication is, is that Jesus is also calling out. He's, he's like, guys, guys, hey, hey, it's me, Jesus. He's calling out. It's me. Can I come in? Can I come into your church? And I love this detail because in the ancient world, there was security issues. I mean, you hear a knock at the door, and there's other parables and things where people don't answer the door. And it's because I don't know what's on the other side of the door. It's just a knock. It's an anonymous thing. Now, of course, we have our cameras, and we have, you know, someone knocks on the door, rings the doorbell, and then they're on camera, and it goes to your phone and your TV and all these. But, but they didn't have that then, right? And so you can, you can hear a knock, and you're like, I ain't opening that. I don't know who's behind it. But Jesus is getting ahead of that here because he's saying, I, this is who's, who, the person knocking is me. It's the Lord. And so the, the people then recognize his voice. Oh, yeah, that sounds like, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. Jesus is trying to get into our church. Now, he could get in if he wanted. He could bust the door down. He could walk through. He could walk through walls. He could walk through doors if he wanted. But instead, he's waiting for the church to let him inside again. How tragic. And then the door, if it's opened, he says, I'm not bringing a sword. I'm not bringing discipline. I'm bringing dinner. Let's have a meal together. Jesus wants a relationship with us. You know, it's 
how do we get to know each other? A lot of times it's through, through meals. And then today, this is how it was back then, similar today. Hey, let's go grab lunch. Let's have a, let's come over. I'm cooking Swiss today. Oh, yeah, that's right. When I cook Swiss, watch out. That means I really like you. I really like you anyway, but it's just a lot of hard work. Or sometimes you're like, I can't really cook that well, so you go out to eat. Good. Yeah, stay in your lane, bro. Wise decision. Yeah? But it's over meals. And you share your life. You share food. You share stories. You share, you share experiences. You share relationship. And in this case, Jesus says, I will come in and I will dine with him and he with me. Notice, it's, it's, it's this way. It's both ways. Have you ever been in a meal or a conversation and you're not, you never get to talk because it's only one person? Like, that, what kind of relationship is that? And if you've never had that, you just got to ask yourself, maybe I'm the one who's doing it. Okay, that's free. It's, it's both ways. It's a conversation. He wants a relationship. He's not bringing a, here's all the stuff you're doing wrong, or here's a to-do list, or here's a bunch of rules and regulations. He's bringing himself and he's sitting at the table, and the invitation is to repent, be zealous, and have a relationship with him. How many of us need that right now? There's so many of us that it's being in this life, it's, it's, our faith has grown cold. Our faith maybe started out so passionate, but those are the glory days, and now things have cooled off. And maybe in your situation, I don't know where you are, but for some of us, it's, yeah, I am lukewarm. I would do really well in Laodicea because the water has changed temperature and it's picked up some things that shouldn't be there. It's picked up some additives and that's your life. And that's where you are right now. This passage is speaking to believers who, who need to get back to their passionate relationship with Christ. And so the question for us here is, if that's you, what do you do? Well, simply be zealous and repent. Jesus is offering an invitation. It doesn't need to be this super dramatic thing. It could just simply mean you accept his invitation once again to have a relationship with him, and you turn from your way, and you start loving Christ again. Start loving him again. Start serving him again. Start giving him your heart again. Start talking to him again. Start caring about the things that he cares about again. Revitalize what was once maybe a fire in your heart for him. And so this innocuous, innocent little scripture that the Snyder family snuck on this burger wrapper rocks our world if we take it as it's written and let it, let it rock your world. So I'm going to just do a quick prayer. And I'm going to ask you if you need to give him your life again, that you take advantage of this moment. So let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Say, Lord, we just thank you so much for your scripture. It just calls us out written 2000 years ago. And it's just so accurate for today. And in our case, there may be some of us who, who need to be zealous, to be re-energized, refueled, recharged, refocused on the Lord of our life, the Lamb of God. 
If that's you today, just slip up your hand and say, that's me. Just reach out to God. Say, that's me. I need to, I need to re-up. I need to get my life back on track with Christ. Just raise your hand. Just reach out to him. Come on now. I know there's some of us are stubborn, and so I'm stubborner than you are. So just, just raise your hand real high and say, this is me, Lord. This is me. Be zealous and repent. And so for those who have raised their hand, God, I pray that you would visit them, that you would be with them as they turn and as they fall back in love with you. And Lord, light us on fire, not just emotionally, but spiritually from now until the end of our days. I'm praying for that for each and every one of us. Thank you, Jesus, that you stand at the door and you don't kick it down, but you knock. Let us open the door right now, I pray. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for double imputation. We thank you for the gospel. And we just pray these things in your beautiful name, your strong name, your patient name. And we all said, amen. 